London Property, home of Super Prime, where you can find informative, educational and entertaining content covering all aspects of property. Hello and welcome back to the London Property Podcast. Uh, Today we're in conversation with David Smith of JMW Solicitors, who is an authority on the subject of Landlord and Tenant Act, and we'll uh, let David give us a little introduction about himself. Hi, David. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Uh, wow, an intro. I'm always asked for this, and I never know what to say. I'm, I'm a partner at JMW Solicitors in London. I specialise in residential landlord and tenant law, although fairly widely, so so both uh, eviction of tenants, dealing with landlord and tenant relationships, but also regulation of of landlord and tenant and agents and um, and associated stuff like data protection and and uh, FCA approvals and anything that touches on landlord and tenant law and, and has a landlord and tenant sort of a feel to it, then uh, I suppose I'm interested in it. Yes, fantastic. I, I always say to people, I mean, you and I know that that, that there is a lot of sort of nuances in in, in property law, but. Uh, a lot of people often think, oh, I've got a lawyer, he'll deal with that tenant going out. But actually, sometimes getting things done quickly at the, uh, you know, with the least amount of hassle and the least amount of cost, it really does mean that you've got to go to specialists. So can we talk a little bit about, I mean, I'm going to divide it up into different sections. So maybe we can start by talking about landlord and tenant uh Act as it as it uh, relates to tenant rights, and I suppose there's twofold here when we're talking about tenants. So, I guess we're going to specify that we're talking about tenants that are actually renting a property rather than tenants that are taking a long lease from a freeholder. I mean, the problem with landlord and tenant law, in some ways, is, it, is is it's very specific and and contrary to popular belief. It's not actually taught to lawyers at, at, at lawyer school. Um, some lawyers will do a bit of landlord and tenant law, but mostly don't do any. And those that they, that, that they do tends to be about commercial properties, um, which have a very different regime. And the reality is that the, that the regime that operates in residential property is quite heavily restricted and has quite a lot of statutory intervention. And the government keeps changing the goalposts as well, as, as um, uh, uh, the UK, of course, is in the grip of what, what is casually termed their housing crisis. And so there's a lot of intervention by the state and, and things keep changing on a on a on at least a six monthly basis, but and and, and 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 annually as well. So it's a fast moving field in a legal sense. And so undoubtedly people have their preferred lawyer to use, but but many of those people will be no doubt very good lawyers, but will not be up to speed with the um ins and outs of, of the current uh, residential landlord and tenant situation. Right. And uh, where would be a good place to start to to sort of give our uh, listeners a snapshot on 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 all of this? Should we start with the tenant rights? Yes. I mean, the first thing to bear in mind is that tenants have quite substantial rights, which are mostly provided for by the Housing Act 1988. And the majority of residential tenants will have their tenancy fall under that legislation. And the sort of most important point about that is that the tenancy agreement is not the be-all and end-all of the relationship. And the most critical point about that is that at the end of the tenancy, so if I agree a one-year tenancy with you, at the end of that tenancy, you don't actually have to leave the property um, unless I've served proper statutory notices. So a lot of landlords seem to think that if they've agreed a one-year tenancy, then perfectly understandably that they expect the tenant to leave at the end of the agreed contract. But in fact, tenants don't have to do that. Um they, they have a statutory right to stay and um, 
in fact, you need to serve them notice in order to make their tenancy end. And indeed, one of the things the government's looking at potentially is, is, is saying, notwithstanding that, that actually tenants can stay over the very long term unless you have good reason to make them go. They're trying to to extend the rights to a minimum of three years or something like that, isn't it? Well, there'll be a number of different possibilities. The government's uh, has flirted with with longer minimum fixed terms. It's flirted with um, with indefinite fixed terms, so that tenants can only be asked to leave if they have if they've done something wrong or if there's a specific reason, like they haven't paid the rent, or the landlord wants to move back into the property to sell it or to live there themselves. Or, or something like that. So there's, there's a number of different possibilities. The government has yet to hang its hat, to be honest with you, on, on, on any of those. Well, I guess as people are moving more towards rentals uh, than, than, than the way in our youth, uh, you've got to give them some sort of uh, security of tenure since they're making lifestyle choices for, for being tenants, aren't they? It's a difficult balance and it's problematic because the, the, the difficulty, of course, is that is that the legislation is a bit one-size-fits-all. Um, and that means, of course, it doesn't fit all situations. For example, if I say indefinite fixed terms, what about student, the student-led market? Scotland has moved to indefinite fixed terms, and the biggest losers in some senses have been students who, who um, landlords are now reluctant to let to because they don't have any certainty that, they'll be, that the tenants will leave in order for new students to come in the following year. So... Um, it can be difficult to have a one-size-fits-all system. I think that's particularly problematic in London as well, where, where the market's a bit different from other parts of the country, but is also, of course, the biggest market. And, and, and you've got to maintain a balance between making it worthwhile from a perspective of landlords to invest their money in the market, um, while at the same time acknowledging the fact that most people are living there as their home, and therefore they, they should have a, a reasonable degree of security in, in their home. Um, and landlords' obligations are getting increasingly more complicated, aren't they? There's a lot of legislation that's come over the years that uh, uh, seems to have uh, made it complicated enough that management seems to be a growing business because people are looking to outsource all of this. Can we talk about some of those kind of uh, standard obligations that uh, landlords face? Yeah, I mean, the days of the gifted amateur are, 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 are sort of drawing to a close, I think, in, in the landlord sphere. Uh, the government has long had a, a sort of unstated aim to what they say is what they call professionalise the sector. Um, the majority of landlords though, landlords, though, are still one one property owners and, and are sort of, you know, mom and pop operations, as it were, with, with, with one or two properties. But um, the government sort of proceeded in a, different, a number of different sort of scattershot directions. It's introduced licensing regimes uh, and individual local authorities have increasing powers to, to simply license every landlord in an area. And more and more of them have done that. The government is again looking at the possibility of landlord registration, which you have in, in Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland, but not in England at the moment. But the government's thinking about landlord registration scheme for England again. And then there's been a sort of series of increases in statutory obligations in terms of, 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 of certificates and, and what you have to have. <coughs> and we've always had a requirement to have gas safety certificates in place, but the government's recently introduced, in, in, during the pandemic even, um, a requirement to have electrical safety certificates. And then it's hardening up slowly but surely as well around uh, energy efficiency 
and and basically at the moment you you can't let out property that doesn't have an it has a very very low EPC rating. But uh, over time, the government will be moving that EPC rating up, and and that will actually be quite a, a sort of big impact on the sector in terms of the amount of investment required to meet the government's EPC ambitions. And documentation is becoming key, right? So this uh, revenge eviction, which uh, uh, I hear about, where they're saying that. You know, if if you give notice, proper notice to a tenant to leave, but uh, you're actually doing it because the tenant has been demanding, then again, the law is not going to be on your side. Is is that is that something that I've understood correctly? In some cases, if a local authority has asked you to make repairs to a property, which they're now empowered to do, and you serve a Section 21 notice to ask the tenant to go as a result of them complaining to the local authority, the local authority asks you to make repairs, then you won't be able to evict them. Um, There are are still a certain amount of revenge evictions. Um, The government is keen to find a way to, to make those harder, so it's likely they'll regulate more. Um, and they've certainly increased the amount of paperwork you have to have available. And, and the, the, the main way of, of enforcing paperwork in, in, at the moment is to say you can't evict if your paperwork is not up to speed. And, um, and and the amount of paperwork involved is going up and up. And then the other thing the government has done is it's empowered tenants to take claims themselves. So, if you're for, if for example, if you need to have a licence and you don't have one, you're liable to prosecution from the local authority but if the local authority can't be bothered, the tenant can come after you and ask for up to 12 months of their rent back. And that's actually increasingly common now. And that's in, in some ways a more effective enforcement regime. And then uh, the subject that is probably uh, interesting to a lot of people, what, what happens when a tenant doesn't pay rent? What, what are the procedures that you have to follow? Well, it's been uh, a bit up in the air recently, of course, because of the pandemic and, and the massive increase of rent arrears that occurred during that. And the government then acted to, to make it harder to evict tenants, but were slowly sort of moving back to a, to a sort of the classic system. But I mean, the summary position is if a tenant doesn't pay rent and they're in two months arrears in most cases, then the landlord is empowered to serve a statutory notice and then go to court. For possession, I think the key point to bear in mind here is you can't just go and change the locks. You can't just turn up and shout at the tenant. You have to go to court for possession and you have to prove the arrears in, in court. Um, and obviously that might be subject to counterclaims if you've not repaired the property or have done something else that you shouldn't have done. Um, and, and so you need to make sure things are, are, are right, as it were, and everything is is, is meeting the, stat, the, the statutory requirements. But in principle, you can go to court and get property back. Um, the difficulty is it just takes time. The courts are underfunded. They're extremely um, overburdened, especially at the moment. And, and so it can take several months um, in order to get the property back, even if the tenant's not paying rent. Um, I remember they, they used to be, and I think this is probably not referring to a short shovel tenancies, but they used to be that when you wanted to get give notice to a tenant to leave who hadn't paid rent, you, your notice period had to be in line with the rental payment schedule so you were really messed up if somebody had paid six months in advance because then you had to give them six months notice to get them out is that something that is still happens or in most cases that no longer applies um, because the government changed the law Um, alongside a lot of other changes they made some changes in in 2018 specifically that, that made that mostly go away 
Um, but this again is, is a good example of, of how things just keep the ground keeps shifting. <laughs> and if you're not um, sitting there looking at the stuff all the time, it could be easy to miss out something important. And uh, the pitfalls and the traps, what are, what, what are the ones that uh, come to mind? I think the most important one for, for individuals has got to be to think about what the local licensing position is. Um, individual local authorities have different rules on licensing. Some local authorities only license properties with, with lots of people in them that are different families, say multiply occupied property. Some local authorities license everything, um, especially when you're talking about London that's over 30 different sets of rules in a relatively defined in a relatively tightly defined area. Um, and you can literally go down the road and find yourself in a totally different regime um, that has impacts for investment because um, investing in a, in a, in a, in a borough that has a licensing regime or is about to introduce a licensing regime will alter your cost base. Um, and it will also alter potentially who you can rent to and how easily, how easily you can rent to those people. Um, so, um, it, um, it, it is something that you really need to be aware of and obviously getting it wrong has huge impacts in terms of prosecution and of course, the tenants demanding up to 12 months rent back, which kind of obviates the entire point from a landlord's perspective. So for those who don't know, licensing basically means that you've got to have the authority to let a property and you've got to keep it to certain standards. What, 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 are, what is it? Uh, yeah, so local authority licensing requires you to have uh, an application made to the local authority that shows that you're fit and proper, that you have a suitable management arrangement in place. And that means generally speaking, using either being locally based or i.e. UK based or having a, an arrangement with a UK based agent who can manage the property effectively for you. Um, and then there are a series of standards and requirements they will have to meet in, in practice. Now the standards are very similar uh, for non-licensed property, but um, you'll be required to demonstrate that you meet them more, more clearly if your property is within a licensing area. Right. And does this only apply to a short short holds or does this apply generally across the board? All tenancies for residential property, regardless of whether they fall within the assured short hold regime or some other regime. And what are the regulations that the landlord should be aware of? in this changing landscape? Well, the other thing that you need to, I mean, there are three sort of major areas. I mean, there's the gas safety requirement to have a gas safety certificate. That's been around for a long time. And so most people should be alert to that, but not having one now has huge consequences longer term. It's very hard to fix. You need to be aware of the requirement now to have an electrical safety certificate before the tenant moves in. So you have to have the electrics checked by an electrician and signed off. That, again, has an impact if you're investing because a lot of properties don't meet the new standards, so it may cost you quite a bit to, to come up and get it, get it brought up to spec. Uh, you're going to have to be, I've already said licensing, but you're going to have to be aware of licensing. And, and a key part of the licensing regime now is fire safety. And, of course, that's a huge issue in the UK. So you will have to meet fire safety obligations. And the government is currently looking at new legislation to impose those obligations much more clearly on landlords. And you'll need to think very carefully about that, particularly if you're purchasing a flat um, or some other property where, where those are likely to bite. And uh, regulations for, for corporates and individuals isn't really that different, is it? I mean, there's some tax implications where, you know, if a property is empty, you've got to pay empty property tax if it's in a non-natural person name um, and you're not letting it. But generally speaking, if you are a corporate, because we're seeing a lot of sort of uh, overseas big landlords looking at the UK um, to create this sort of institutional type uh, investment uh, 
uh, environment like they have in the states or they have in Germany. And we you know we we've been a lot of kind of mom and pop landlords over the years, but it seems that taxation is trying to shift us over to a more corporate, a more institutional type investor. Is is there something that um, these guys need to be aware of, or, or that's different when they're looking at the UK market? Well, I mean, corporate uh, own, control of ownership has huge tax benefits in the UK to the extent that many UK landlords are incorporating in order to obtain those benefits. Um, whether that's intentional on the government's part or just or bad tax planning is, is hard to be sure of. But in, in principle, the legal obligations are no different. I mean, what people need to be aware of is that most of the legislation in the UK allows direct prosecution of directors in, in these areas. So being a corporate does not insulate you from uh, direct prosecution of individuals. And if that was a concern to you, then you would need to consider whether you would incorporate uh, in a jurisdiction that allows, for example, to ha- allows nominee directors or, 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 or concealed directors, such as the Seychelles or Cyprus. But then in itself, that has its own implications because people will be more reluctant to deal with those entities potentially. Uh, and you'll have to you'll, you'll be subject to greater control um, in terms of money laundering things as you come through to buy the property because people will be concerned about provenance of funds. So throughout your profession, I mean, I think I first came across uh, your work when when I heard you speak at one of the um, Association of Residential Letting Agency uh, conferences. But you've been involved a lot with professional bodies that uh, regulate agents, and one thing about agency is that. Actually, the letting side of the business has been regulated for ages, hasn't it? And a lot of the work that happens in 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 lettings is actually handled by agents versus when you're buying and selling a property. It's all passed on to lawyers from from very early stages of a transaction. So choosing agents and and the impact that that can have on your investment, that's also quite important uh, decision for for landlords and tenants i would imagine yeah it's quite a weird sort of circumstance in the uk compared to other jurisdictions so state agents are quite regulated in the uk um you know relatively speaking more likely regulated than other jurisdictions but but reasonably heavily regulated in the uk but they actually don't handle most of the transactions so in some jurisdictions the state agents are very heavily regulated but actually handle the whole transaction including the conveyance in England and Wales and, and indeed Scotland, estate agents merely bring the parties together with property and then hand it all over to solicitors to deal with. Letting agents historically were almost completely unregulated. And so choosing a good agent was a big deal. Um, they are slowly becoming more regulated. They are now more regulated than they were in terms of, for example, having to have um, schemes in place to protect client money, for example, which they didn't have to have before. Um, and there is a, a movement on its way to require all agents to be fully regulated with, with full training requirements and proper sign up and all the rest of it, uh, which was, is, is usually falls under the acronym ROPA in the UK, which is Regulation of Property Agents. And that will be a move towards a much more regulated regime across the property sector as a whole. Yes, well, I think that's welcomed, quite frankly. After so many decades in the industry, I think it, you know, when 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 you see you when you deal with people who uh, sort of self-regulate, I find a lot of people that I deal with in in, in rental self-regulate, and they've been going to all the courses and they've been, you know, applying to all the right uh, organisations and and making sure that they do, and, and it makes such a difference in in 
avoiding problems and getting things done right and 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 making sure that you maximize your your investment as you say i mean the, the big thing is is making sure you deal with the right people um and and that's where for example you come in for for people who are new to the uk market you can make sure they deal with the right people um i think that will still be the case and it, it, the good thing about regulation property agents is 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 that you may not get so badly burned by dealing with the wrong people um, because there should be a, a, a clearer minimum standard, whereas at the moment there are still some very, very questionable players in the market. Yes, and um, have you seen any? I mean, you've been you've been working in the industry for a while now. Have you seen any real radical changes in 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 how uh, people are changing maybe their lifestyle choices, or do you still think it's a temporary thing? Renting. Um, I think renting has, has grown inevitably as a consequence of, of, of wider shifts in the UK economy. Um, how, I, how I think things will go moving forward, I think, remains to be seen because the pandemic's thrown everything into, into the air. Um, one of the drivers of renting was the, was the deep-seated rush to the southeast by everybody. That's eased off a bit. The government was already and and had already implicitly got a leveling up strategy. If you'll excuse me, using Boris Johnson buzzwords. Um, so I think it depends how much the government really does in terms of of, of upping the Midlands and the Northwest, particularly um, to be as as economically you know substantial as the Southeast. If they do that, then I think that will radically alter the market. And it will also radically alter lettings because people talk about the England as a lettings market. But that's a complete lie, really. I mean, the lettings market in the UK is London and the southeast. Um, while you do rent property elsewhere, the the numbers in London and the southeast are so much greater as as to um, as to uh, dominate. There are more renters in London than there are people living in Birmingham. Right. So you really need industry to go properly up north in in every area for the demand for rentals to to follow it really and then for the builders to build the rental stock or for the investors to buy the rental stock yeah i think that the, the the pressure in in london is and, and the southeast is so overwhelming that renting you know will continue to be a, an option that people will, will have to use whether they want to or not and some of them will choose to use it some of them don't have a choice <coughs> unless you really widen the options, then then that's always going to be the case. What then becomes interesting is, is if the government does manage to level up, say, Manchester and Birmingham and Bristol and Cardiff and Liverpool, which is what their main sort of target zones, whether there'll be enough building in those areas and, and what type of building that will be. And then you've got the more complex question of, of, of lifestyle choices. Younger people choose to rent in order to maintain flexibility. Um, they all ultimately want to buy, I'm sure, but but they don't usually initially want to buy. They usually want to rent for, for a few years to get a career established, at least in the professional sectors. So uh, so I think it will it will depend how people feel about that. And that then comes down to whether the government makes any inroads in altering the way that we buy and sell houses in England and Wales, which is quite a, a fixed process, but they are trying to speed it up and make it simpler and cheaper. Yes, with less gazumping and aborted costs would be great. Great. Okay, well, uh, David, it's been really interesting uh, speaking to you. I don't know if there's anything else that we, we haven't covered that uh, you want to, to bring to our attention. 
the, the sort of key point in, in England and Wales, particularly at the moment, is just the huge um, flux and change in the market, both in terms of of the market as an economic force, but also the legislation. And unfortunately, those two things massively impact on each other. The government frequently makes changes to legislation. It is it, it doesn't always fully appreciate what those effects will have on the market, and and um, that continues to be the case. Yes, well, I'm 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 so optimistic about the UK as a, as a, as a investment for for anybody that I always like to think that people will find a way around all legislation and find a way to keep coming back and keep investing. Which I think we all got shocked after the pandemic with the massive rush to to to, to the property market. I think any of us were expecting it. So let's hope uh, there's more shock to come when the airports open. Um, it's been great speaking to you. Uh, always fascinating to to discuss landlord and tenant act. And obviously, our listeners can find you on our experts directory shortly. And um, we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you very much, David. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the London Property Podcast. Head over to LondonProperty.co.uk and subscribe to our newsletter to receive latest updates.